All right, everyone, we will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I want to share something that Blockworks has been cooking up for these last couple of months. March of this coming year in London, Blockworks is hosting DAS London, the largest institutionally focused conference in all of crypto. Goldman, JP Morgan, Point72, all in one room so you can know what the big money is doing. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. It'll take you right over to the homepage and use Bell20 for 20% off. I will see you in sunny London town in March. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Before we jump in, quick disclaimer, the views expressed by my co-host today are their personal views and they do not represent the views of any organization with which the co-hosts are associated with. Uh, Nothing in the episode is construed or relied upon as financial, technical, tax, legal, or other advice. You know the deal. Now let's jump into the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Uh, you got Michael's one and two, Vance, and uh, special guest Sam Hart, who's been on the show before. But uh, Sam, welcome. Michael, Vance, what's going on, everyone? Good to be here. Post-Turkey tur- post yeah, Day. Yeah. What do people do for the big, with big family time? Did anyone cook or attempt to cook anything? <laughs> <laughs> it's a no. hard no. Absolutely not. <laughs> I was I was in charge of a side. Let's just put it that way. That that gives you all the, all the confidence that my family has in me for cooking. What did they put you in charge of? Mashed potatoes? No, no. I did a uh, I did a buffalo cauliflower dip. It's actually pretty good. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's like a six and a half seven difficulty. I would say that's showing some faith in you. It's pretty good. Yeah, I was at my my girlfriend's family's place, and it's like a huge family, sixty person thanksgiving it was uh it was really intense (laughs) uh first time meeting everybody or uh second time uh definitely some new faces i've I've met always it's a lot yeah no pressure you made no pressure in this there yeah nice well um all right, let, let's get into it. I, the first thing I wanted to ask you guys about, um, or maybe just bring up, obviously this is a little bit old news, but uh, CZ uh, is stepping down as the the CEO of Binance in a pretty landmark deal made with the Department of Justice. Um, so there was a large uh, $4.3 billion fine. Uh, CZ is going to retain ownership, uh, but he can't operate, you know, being involved in any sort of operating capacity for the next uh, three years or so. Uh, so obviously, this is all relatively old news. I, I would love to get your guys, I guess, just high level take on it. Like there have been uh, kind of divided. I think some people view this as like, OK, this is sort of the next step. Right. This is one of the big hurdles or sort of um, like overhangs that still exist from a regulatory capacity. We know that U.S. regulators haven't been super friendly towards Binance. Uh, I think a lot of folks on on crypto Twitter have had the idea that, look, CZ did a lot for this industry. You know, we we finally found out how many accounts Binance had. They had 150 million accounts. You know, they've arguably onboarded more people into crypto than any other entity in existence. Um, so I think there's kind of that uh, angle to it. But I also wanted to get your guys' thoughts on where you see Binance market share. Um, it's, which is just a question that I've been asking myself uh, three years out, say, um, you know, is it less than it is today? Does Binance sort of slowly bleed out from here? Or I think you could actually make the counter argument that because the DOJ is going to be surveilling them, they're kind of one of the most trusted exchanges in crypto today. And they have the head start of a ton of liquidity and partnerships and all that stuff that they've been building out. So I guess like, what, what's your guys high level take on the whole Binance and CZ stepping down? Do, do you mean yeah. market share or... Or exchange market share. 
Say again, Sam? Sex market market share or exchange market share generally? That's a good question. That, that that's the question. Yeah. Okay. Let's say let's say both. Yeah, I'd like those both. I mean, so uh, just broadly speaking, <clears throat> you you hit the nail on the head, Mike, with this is one of the overhangs of uncertainty that everybody had been thinking about, talking about, knew it was coming. Nobody knew when it was going to happen. Um, it's one of those things where like when you're watching a scary movie and you finally see the monster that's been chasing people around, you're like, oh, well, okay, it's not that bad. Um, I think that this is actually a pretty fundamentally bullish thing for the global crypto ecosystem. Just removing the uncertainty is huge. The other angle too, I think is, um, and I, I saw a couple people um, positioning this way is they were never going to let something like an ETF go through without the clearing of this type of a situation. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's actually pretty bullish as well for the ETF uh, that's potentially happening in you know January ish. Um, so ultimately, I think this is a positive. It's the like seventh largest fine in U.S. in the Department of Justice uh, or in U.S. history, and maybe the largest in Department of Justice history. Um, CZ also is not able to travel back to the UAE. In the meantime, he has a sentencing hearing in February. Like there's there's still a lot of stuff to figure out what's going to happen with this situation. The um, you know, yes, they're going to be surveilled by the U.S. now. Um, they also are going to have to totally cut ties with all U.S. customers. Um, so I, I think that is probably one of the bigger questions in terms of uh, are there still remaining U.S. customers as you know a, a vestige of the 2017-2018 era? They're now not going to be able to trade on that platform. How they cut them off you know, remains to be seen, but it seems like they're going to move in that direction. I also saw that they're shutting down BUSD, which you know they're going to have to start cutting off these products and services um, so to Sam's point, I, I think broadly, you know, our view is that DEX activity will overtake sex activity in, you know, a period of time, like in the next year or two. Um, and I think this is one of the catalysts that helps make that happen. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, a lot of parts of finance that people don't have a full view on nobody has a full view on and there's a lot of parts of the the regulatory action that people don't have a lot of uh visibility into um you know we're seeing delistings happening but it, it's pretty clear they're going to be more constrained in in some way um so that that's a big question mark for me uh, as to how effective they can be as as a centralized exchange um, we also don't know a whole lot about the internal leadership and morale and, uh, you know, a lot of things that intangibles that are like pretty important for um, having that kind of leading market position. Yeah. Vance, what do you think? The only other take I have on this is, um, I mean, like the CME is now the largest open interest exchange in crypto. So it's not even like... Um, Binance market share is like slowly dwindling. It's just like these other exchanges are really gaining on them. And it's obviously not the same set of people. It's differentiated. It's institutions. And imagine what an ETF looks like compared to like spot centralized exchange, you know, as we know them volumes, like it could be like, it could be like centralized exchanges in crypto are like pretty insignificant. Obviously, like a lot of the flow will hit Binance and like a rising tide will lift all boats. But 
I could see that happening. Um, the other one, I mean, just in, in reading kind of the regulatory news this week is like, you know, the uh, it's William Adebo, who is a treasury executive at the U.S. government. He's now, you know, asking for for more power to go after international stablecoin issuers. Obviously, like that's a code word for Tether. But to the extent he's able to succeed, it's like we've already kind of beaten that horse. They already had all those lawsuits. Like we'll see. Um, but it just kind of goes to show you that no one is beyond the reach of of uh, of U.S. law enforcement. Right. This guy um, seems like a nice guy, you know, whatever. But like, you know, no one is beyond the reach of these people. Even CZ, who was in a non-extradition country, had, you know, 30, 40 billion dollars, whatever, you know, however rich he is. It makes me nervous about uh, Justin Sun and um, his status, because like he's like, you know, the the last of the Mohicans in, in some ways. Uh, and we'll see if that persists. But like, you know, people are like. Oh yeah, he just runs these like crazy scams on Tron and like STUSDT isn't even USDT and like nobody knows what's backing it. Like all good things must come to an end at some point. And so we'll see. And for a lot of these guys, like if the choice is um, you get to be a, a person with 10 or $20 billion, like maybe CZ or Justin Sun, but you have to stay uh, within Dubai, Russia, Turkey, Iran, or North Korea, like those are your vacation spots, or you make a deal and you're like a, a global citizen again. What's the point of having all that money if you can't travel? It just, well, it doesn't make any sense. One of the variables that I think people kind of found out was uh, in the plea deal with CZ, he will not appeal anything. He does not have the ability to appeal anything up to 18 months of jail time. But he does have the ability to appeal something if there is more than 18 months. How they got to that 18 months, no idea. But I, I think there is an element of there's not a 0% chance that CZ will will face jail time when sentencing is up. Um, obviously, we know, you know, other others like Arthur Hayes had, you know, house arrest. Um, and, you know, there have been previous uh, infractions in, in a similar vein, maybe not at the same scale. Um, and obviously not with the backdrop that we have now. But, you know, there is an element of like this, this story is not done yet for CC. Yeah, I, would t- it's, I think it's I think it's tough to ever really fully predict that out. Um, I, I, I agree with all of you guys. That I just see uh, um, centralized market exchange market, sh- centralized exchange market share dwindling. Um, and I actually do when we talk about blast, I think a really good, uh, interesting area that this is already playing out, frankly, is NFTs. Like if you look at what blur has done on Ethereum, and if you look at what tensor has done on Solana. It's been pretty remarkable to see uh, just how fast that market share has shifted um, from a, a super dominant position from incumbents. So the Department of Justice has like played a new a new card here. Like we know a little bit more information about uh, their position, um, just because it's a regulatory action of this magnitude. Um, there are things that they could have done that they didn't do, and um, so that that might. Uh, indicate to others how they how they may proceed in the future and namely the person who or the the people who were not represented at the press conference was the sec yeah i thought that was interesting and uh you know cftc doj treasury but no sec um there that that does also leave open the potential for something else to happen Mm. is anyone else interested in the price of the price of bnb is held up very well 
<laughs> like, I, I don't know what I, I didn't have an expectation for how it would respond to something like this. But um, it's been interesting to me. That yeah, hasn't really I'm moved. super curious what happens to their their chain. Like me too. Actor, you know, who knows? I, I, I definitely a lot of you know unanswered questions, and who knows? But I, I also think like we're talking about such a global ecosystem that 150 million people, even if it was 150 million people completely outside the United States, is so small in comparison to the global population that's interested in this. And I, I think yes, there is a point of you are not. Um, you are under the reach of the U.S. regulators if you have any sort of U.S. customer base. But I do think that Binance is something that will persist at the scale that it has. And the recognition with the BNB price or any of the egos, like the trading volume hasn't fallen off precipitously. They're going to have to cut back stuff eventually. Um, but we're talking about a global ecosystem and there are regulatory regimes that are much more favorable for this. And frankly, where Binance has focused over the last few years, the bulk of these infractions happened before or during 2021. And, you know, things have changed since then. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I It's possible that we just start to see like Binance as a rest of world operator that doesn't touch any U.S. persons or, or customers. And, and they're going to be able to be, you know, massive, therefore. Mm. Yeah, you might be right. I, I mean, I also just I don't really know uh, much about Richard Tang. It seems like he's got a great uh, background. He could be sort of the Dara Kosher Shahi to, you know, Travis Kalanick um, at Uber. And maybe he's, I don't know, I could see it. I could see it happening. Um, I, I do think also, Vance, you made a really interesting point about CME. I feel like it's gotten a little bit of attention, but not not an enormous amount. Uh, maybe to just transition a little bit here. Uh, so CME open interest has absolutely exploded, and it feels like that's actually what's been leading some of at least the price action in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, it's also interesting. I mean, people have been following this pretty closely, but uh, Coinbase has been doing very well, and MicroStrategy has been outperforming as well. Some of these like public market proxies for crypto. Actually, uh, Michael Saylor announced another... <laughs> 500 some million dollar uh bitcoin he, buy. He found, he found he found uh he found 500 mil under the couch cushions and decided to buy some btc yeah and he's issuing another 750 million dollars worth of equity to you know you know presumably buy more bitcoin um but both of those things taken in conjunction it's kind of like when when microstrategy and coinbase starts to do well that sort of smells like an institutional or more traditional interest in crypto um and same thing with cme so it's just interesting to see all of that pick up ahead of uh, ahead of a potential spot ETF approval, and kind of gives some amount of data to support the idea that this could be an institutional led rally. Actually, so I don't know if you guys agree with that, have thoughts, or yes, no. I, I think that's what we're playing for. You know, like th this is what takes it to you know a million BTC, hundred K ETH. Like it it can only happen with institutional inflows. Um, like, I think you can get to like five to 10K ETH, you know, whatever, 100K for Bitcoin with just retail and, uh, you know, like leverage enabled by perps and things like that, but it's never going to be sustainable. Um, and so like, this is the secret ingredient. I do think it's interesting that, you know, maybe kind of like a, a counter perspective is like Bitcoin's a, a Sailor bought it at like 37 or something, I think was his average yeah. price. Yeah, just no, under. Well, yeah, his total average is like 30k. Okay. Yeah, but but the last tranche was like 37. Yeah, 37. Average. Yep. I mean, it, it just goes to show you 
like how much money is needed to move Bitcoin. 700 million is like a lot. Um, and I think if you put that into just about any other crypto asset, it would like quadruple. But it's just like, you know, rock, rock is heavy, hard to move. Grug smash. <laughs> Tough out there. That's true. Like, you know, if we get if we get ten billion dollars of inflows in the first year, that's you know, fifteen Michael Sailors. Just think about that. Well, Michael Sailors this week. <laughs> right. I guess they start stacking at some point, but like right. you, you need a lot of capital to move this thing and it can feed on itself. But I would say we're just we're just painting the base coat right now. You know, absorbing some supply ahead of the ETF. We're just getting our ducks in order. I think it's I think it's going to be interesting next year. Yeah, I tend to agree. I also I also do think though that you know Bitcoin being larger and, and having it uh, you know be more liquid and all that kind of stuff. It, it means this was always going to be what happened, right? It's it's not going to have these crazy. Maybe it won't have as many of these crazy moves, but that is what opens it up to like real institutional money, like sovereign wealth funds and pensions who always found, uh, you know, I just heard this from a lot of the people on like the allocator side that I used to talk to is like, uh, Bitcoin's just too small, even. Um, so you do at a certain, at a certain point, when you get larger, you actually unlock uh, a new supply of investors that you didn't have before. That's true. So, you know, what do we um, think that that magnitude is? Uh, you know, what's a benchmark for like small versus large asset for these allocators? I, I think it, it has to do less with the size of the asset, more with the volume on a trusted intermediary. Um, and, and that's where the CME actually becomes really, really important um, because that's how these players are going to be able to get in. It, it, historically, if you're you know a pension fund or someone you know who manages hundreds of billions of dollars or tens of billions of dollars, your options are basically like Coinbase. Or like an OTC desk who's you know spreading that around to a bunch of different Coinbase-like entities. Yeah, it, it's it's not very simple to buy Bitcoin spot in size. Just out of curiosity, uh, I guess you'd have to spread this across like the ETF and um, but like how much how much gold? What's like what's the daily volume on something like gold that trades hands? Anyone know? Let's see. I mean, like you know, I was looking at Snapchat earlier that has like five hundred million dollars of volume a day. Mm. So like, it's interesting in traditional finance, it seems like the alts are like more liquid than your average crypto alt, which kind of makes sense. But gold, I think is, I think it's probably trading like, let's see, I would guess around what Bitcoin does in a day. But what is that? Is that GLD volume? Is that like, the the tough part is there's like gold bought but uh, you're not really trading that it's it's all gonna be a proxy all right i I got an answer here i mean this seems this seems wildly i mean it says here it's 130 billion a day for gold (laughs) s&p 500 stocks are trading about 240 billion a day it is worth noting that gold is the planet's largest asset so that kind of does make sense intuitively but you know we're working with like one per eh, maybe like three to five percent of like daily gold volume in crypto okay uh, i mean i honestly i could see myself being totally wrong on this but that actually doesn't sound that sounds directionally correct sounds right sam what do you think i i feel like there's even gold trading that's that's not like super 
visible that's used for kind of internal accounting. Um, so even the number that we're looking at there is not uh, necessarily representative of like the entire volume. Um, so it's very hard to project. Right. Also, congrats to Goldbugs. It's above uh, 2050, and they've been waiting for that since 2018. So <laughs> big shout out to them. Yeah. We're happy for you guys. Let's yeah. go. Uh, they're, they're, by the way, they are the most, they're, actually, they're the second most insane people on the planet. You know who the first most insane group is? No. Silverbugs. <laughs> really? Those people are working with. Yeah, some raw materials in their head. I don't know what is going on, but someone convinced them a long time ago that silver was the key to, to generational Citadel wealth. <laughs> Crazy. Just like Litecoin. Yeah, literally. First bag. First bag. Um, wow. Dude, one of the Thanksgiving yeah. stories I heard was uh, basically this, uh, someone's mother who was like really, really into um, was a gold bug and then kind of got into bitcoin through like a an anti-vax uh channel um so yeah i mean it, it all checks out the the crazy like aggregates um <laughs> the math, classic, the math. Uh, classic it adds up it adds up yeah um all right, let's, uh, oh, actually one, by the way, just the, on that note about Tether, uh, I feel like this, so Hart Lamber was on this podcast uh, last week and he dropped this little tidbit that I feel like should have gotten slightly more attention. So he was in Istanbul for um, DevConnect or whatever. And he mentioned that you can go, there's uh, there these markets. You know, I think there's one particularly famous market out there. And he said, you can literally go and show up with like $10 million worth of cash and convert that into Tether. Like, oh yeah you can yeah there's um i feel like that's a slightly, kind there, of a big story even, even crazier stories that we've heard i'll tell you one yeah so in uh in i'm not going to name the country and we haven't done this but we we work with a company that does uh you know seizures and custody for like law enforcement and big government agencies and and one of the the examples that they gave us was um you like, you know, you get in this telegram group or WhatsApp or whatever. And, you know, there's a guy obviously, and it's like, you know, Hey, I've got a bunch of tether that I want to uh, redeem into cash or gold. And what they will do is they will, you know, they'll, you'll send the tether to an escrow and they will drop a bag uh, and they'll bury it in the woods and they'll put an Apple air tag on it. And, you know, you use find my to find the air tag and you dig for the bag and, the, and you like you dig up the bag and it's full of like gold or cash or whatever. Anyways, we're the good guys on this one. We're helping like, you know, stop this. But uh, the OTC market for Tether and, and like into cash or physical assets, it's very real and it happens globally. <laughs> to be clear, the company that we're partnered with is the ones trying to prevent this from happening. Right. <laughs> this is not like, you know. It's a great business opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it is for the right for you know if you're helping the law enforcement and, and you know, government side it is but uh, so i thought the crazy tidbit you know i think it was maybe hard who said it or, or somebody that i heard uh who's at dev connect uh taking it back to justin son was uh the dominant network that everybody trades uh usdt on is tron right it's the vast majority of where usdt exists which 
I, I had kind of known, but I forgot about for a while. And it is the dominant platform in these countries. And it's not even USDC. And and the reason why I think he was talking about or someone was talking about it was just because of that one, you know, Saturday in March when everything blew blew apart, went down to 92 cents and then rocketed it back up. That distrust is enough to be able to push people into, you know, USDT. Wait, I can't remember. Now I'm mixing up. I can't remember if you and I talked about this or if someone I don't remember who told me this, but uh, someone someone said something very uh, uh, similar to what you just said and actually the perception of people in other countries is that like the tether team is like more legit and better like more business oriented than the circle team which just blew my mind uh yep I, I, exactly i yeah <laughs> that meanwhile that ipo is an or the circle ipo that's been rumored or planned i think there was something on the internet in, uh, yeah. in 2024 it'd be a weird look if like your business just got halved and you're going public i'm not i'm not sure how how that works. I think there is like a real lesson to be learned here though, the crypto industry, which is like the, the tether go to market looked very, very different from the circle go to market. Like the whole infrastructure, wallet, integration, deployment strategy, um, very different. The the organization is kind of tentacular in a way that like is uh yeah, just kind of structurally, um, like not what circle looks like. Um, and these are some of the things that you need to, to get deployment into, um, countries that, that want access to these, um, these dollarized coins. So, uh, I'm fascinated by what that infrastructure actually looks like, what the kind of work structure looks like there um and it, it's hard to dig up information on it um i i would love to talk with somebody <laughs> who's like really boots on the ground i don't i don't think they want to talk to you or <laughs> <laughs> i don't think so either um, <laughs> i mean, I mean it, like the bull case for tron is very clear the bear case also very clear like part of me thinks that at some point like the centralized sequencers the networks that are facilitating you know, basically like centralized transactions and transmissions of money. Like those are, those are very clear, like BSA violations. And at some point that will come to a head and it's either going to come to a head just by the, you know, some Senator today asked uh, circle if they were aiding and abetting Justin son, like, like we're, we're not far from like you wake up and it's like, you know, the same thing with CZ is happening to Justin. Yeah, I I don't know if you guys five years ago, if we were, um, you know, talking about main characters, who was going to make it through this? Um, I would not have been betting on his excellency, but he's uh, he's been pretty bulletproof, uh, you know, to his credit. And I actually <laughs> so did far. have I, I was talking <laughs> so to someone. Far. Yeah, so far. Right. Um, I was talking to someone who works at a uh, well, I don't want to actually out. They, they're working kind of like infrastructure and sort of uh, markets capital markets type type role and they they were saying they they've been hearing that um like the SEC commissioners you know were getting briefed on more mev related stuff and uh i i think um i'm starting to hear like hear it come through that this like mev stuff that was like a dark forest thing that uh crypto internet nerds talked about is like making its way towards uh regulators and they're starting to understand it more which was always going to happen but it's 
tough to get the timeline. So anyway. Yeah. You ever heard of like the object permanence problem? <laughs> Not really. What is it's, it's something that little children have where like, you know, if I'm in a room and I go behind a wall, they think I've like disappeared from the planet. <laughs> Same thing goes with like, you know, these regulatory infractions. It's like, if you don't get caught the second you commit the crime, you're, you're, you're free. You're not guilty. Just like, that's not how that, that works. Um, the charges are still in the room with you. They just haven't <laughs> presented yet. So like, we'll see like all of this stuff. Yeah. I advise everyone to think about the long game, you know, just not worth it. We're still working our way through like 2020 stuff and it's, you know, about to be 2024. Yep. I agree. All right, everyone, we will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I want to share something that Blockworks has been cooking up for these last couple of months. March of this coming year in London, Blockworks is hosting DAS London, the largest institutionally focused conference in all of crypto. We are gathering 1,200 of the world's largest asset managers. So think TradFi macro funds, crypto native funds, big allocators, and financial institutions. So banks, payment processors, etc. all in one spot. It's very rare to get the likes of Goldman, JP Morgan, Point72, whatever, all in one room. So you can know what the big money is doing. We're diving into the themes that they care about. So we're talking about the intersection of macro and crypto, where we are in the cycle, real world assets. So everything from stable coins to on-chain treasuries to tokenized assets, it's going to be a blast. But the other reason you really want to go is London, baby. Center of the world at one point. You got pub culture, you got fish and chips, great beer. It's going to be a blast. So because you're such great listeners to Bell Curve, there's a code BELL20 that's going to get you 20% off. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. It'll take you right over to the home page you'll see all of our speakers and use bell 20 for 20 percent off ticket prices are going up soon make sure you go use that code i will see you in sunny london town in march okay so speaking of um i don't want to use that sequitur let's talk about blast um so blast <laughs> so blast uh is the new layer two, uh, which is launched by pac-man so pac-man is the founder of blur the marketplace which honestly has been relatively controversial. I think there have been some, my personal opinion is sort of bad takes that they killed the NFT market, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, they have eaten an enormous amount of market share actually mm -hmm. from, from OpenSea. Um, here, I actually will share my screen. I've got some, um, there's a pretty good Dune dashboard by Hold Dobby that covers this, but you know, Pac-Man is a clearly a good founder. Um, he's got very good insights. He is, you know, 24 years old. <laughs> he's doing quite a bit. He's running two companies here. So he led, a, you know, uh, Paradigm and Standard uh, co-led a $20 million round to launch Blast. They had a very different go-to-market strategy, uh, same to your point about Tether, uh, where they basically launched as a multi-sig. And they, you know, it's kind of a one-way multi-sig where you can deposit funds that you can't get out for uh, three months. And uh, the, the whole point of Blast as a layer two is that there's native yield. So what Blast does under the hood is it reallocates user deposits into one of two places, I believe, which is just Steef uh, today or into uh, Maker. So you're getting treasury yield or sort of the ETH stake rate. Um, they have, they attracted about, I mean, I think it's just under 600 million in TVL now. Um, I, I think it's higher than that now, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, lots of, lots of, uh, Lots. I mean, what what do you, what's your guys' take on on this at a high level? Be curious. Got to put a lot of trust into that multi sig. <laughs> I mean, we we we've done a couple of things like that in the past, but I don't I don't I don't see me putting full trust <laughs> multi sig anytime soon. Oh. I've been surprised that this much went in. 
yeah, it's yeah. like how much are you really expecting to get in terms of rewards? It just it actually just feels like there's even better rewards that you could get elsewhere. There's better use of your capital. Uh, so I, I think the global comment is, you know, independent of Blast or whatever, is like if you can put up a multi-sig and have this new L2 backed by whomever uh, launching whenever, obtain $600 million of TVL over the course of the last four weeks, like <laughs> crypto's back. Animal spirits are back. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I have two two thoughts on this. Like one Blast marketing and kind of sketchiness of the multi-sig, I think pretty clear it's it's off, it smells wrong. Um, I, I haven't talked to anybody who wasn't a little bit concerned about it. Um, the other big part of the narrative is uh, basically a uh, whether stake tokens should be used on L2s and um, how that kind of changes the um, the assumptions about how the L2 operates, the security model, um, the uh, the kind of validator set composition and and kind of con control structure of um, the ETH token, um, and it's definitely like forcing the hands of other L2s, um, is putting some pressure on them to think about yield opportunities uh, of the bridge contract between the, the L1 and the L2. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, like Steeth supplies ripped higher. I think there's been like four or five hundred thousand Steeth. Yep. Uh, or maybe a little, maybe a little bit less than that. Three, you know, three hundred, three fifty. Um, Die supply from this is also ripping higher. Um, and so, like, this is what really good infrastructure looks like. If there's something happening on chain, you know, you downstream of it become the beneficiary. And to Michael's point, like we're back and there's going to be so many of these token farms. And I, I know a lot of them are going to use this same blast strategy because why wouldn't you? It's obviously working and they, you know, it's pretty easy to put together, you know, at least a multi-sig is. Um, so like, I, I think the, the changes in this, in my mind, from this in my mind are like, you know, I'm neither bullish nor bearish blast, neither endorse nor back their tactics. But uh, I think Steeth supply in general, staked ETH supply is going to be higher than most people project. I would say it's probably going to be like 60 or 70% closer to like Cosmos or, or like Solana. It'll take time, but like, you know, this is like a week of farming and there's like 300,000 steep that have been staked because of it. Play that out over a super bullish year with restaking with all that stuff. I think that's the first one. And then the second one is um, probably die supply. It is like more bullish on die supply. And a lot of it's going into the DSR, which is like not directly benefiting Maker because, you know, Maker buys the treasuries, then they pass through the yield on the 5%, you know, flat pass through. But once endgame farming starts and like, you know, the tokens aren't going to the DSR, they're going to like farm these sub DAO tokens at like 10 or 15% APY. Like you could, you could see like Maker being a huge beneficiary of, of this trend. Um, and like, you know, why wouldn't... Uh, why wouldn't you know USDC fill this role? A, there's no yield pass back, and B, you know the KYC obligations around converting that much money into that many USDC stablecoins. That's probably something that Circle is going to be like, "What's going on here?" Yeah, I think so. I have uh, a lot of thoughts on it. I guess I think the to your point about 
I guess I have a sort of uneasy feeling about it, but I also think it's probably going to work and probably become something that looks more like the norm. Like if you think about this from the standpoint of, and actually I, I want to give credit, I was talking to, I had a long conversation with Miles about this. Um, this was sort of his observation. I think it's true, which is that if you think about the challenge from a regular L2, okay, you're launching into a sea of layer twos. How exactly do you differentiate? Really what you need is to attract users and developers to build on your platform as opposed to Arbitrum or Optimism or um, Scroll or whoever. Now, if you don't have any like latent uh, you know, user funds or something, that's a very different conversation. But now Blast can say, hey, come build here we have $570 million or, or $600 million worth of TVL. There's clearly a lot of latent demand, right? So it makes those conversations, I would guess, quite a bit easier. So I think from that standpoint, it's actually a pretty good strategy. I think my, my sort of concern about this is that, so here, uh, uh, they tweeted this out, but um, my, my, my concern would just be like, what are the risks and controls here? Uh, because basically what you have here is kind of like an on-chain BlockFi structure, right? Where you've got uh, people that deposit things and uh, then you're turning around and putting that into something that generates yield. Now you're passing all of that onto the user. There's a totally different revenue model. But if you look at the balance sheet of like a blast versus something like BlockFi, it looks sort of similar. Um, and, and my, my just concern would be like, have we thought through like, what, what is the infrastructure that's, that's managing this right behind the scenes? And actually there was an example where it's a multi-sig, <laughs> it's a multi-sig, <laughs> it's a freaking multi-sig pieces of and technology actually, as well. Oh, and I'll get the screenshot. We can drop it in the, when it, this actually goes live, but, uh, someone caught that, you know, the, if you deposit like tether, what they, what they were turning around and doing was converting that into die through curve, but the default tolerance or slippage tolerance was set to 10%. So they lost like $100,000 and then they just had to front the user that money. They give them an extra 10% bonus, but it's like, come on guys, this doesn't make me feel particularly great about the, the <laughs> protocols that are supporting something like this. And there could be weird edge cases. Like what if there's an enormous amount of people that want to withdraw? I would guess you have like a market maker on the other side of that that maybe like bridges the the gap for a little bit. But I, these are all, these all feel like unanswered questions and I feel like they're pretty important. So I guess I have a general feeling of nervousness <laughs> about the whole thing. The other sharp edge is like the whole ecosystem is a rebasing ecosystem. Um, so yeah. none of the contracts can be like directly migrated over. You're, you have to, you have to like reimagine the entire uh, structure of like these DeFi protocols so that they work with, with rebase as, as a kind of native function. So I could see some blowups happening from that. Just put guns there. Um, that's going to be a very complex challenge to navigate. Re rebasing is one of the most difficult constructs to be dealing with. Uh, maybe not as a user, but as any sort of intermediary or custodian or you know developer. Um, yeah. So I, I I was literally about to say I think you know the construct is is going to be problematic going forward. Why would they do a rebasing instead of uh, an exchange? exchange rate mechanism like it makes sense for something like steeth i understand the psychological importance of steeth equaling eth and that makes sense to me but i'm a little confused about the decision to do rebase here is there something yeah, non-rebasing non is hard too like yeah there's other is what we use for a lot of our on-chain stuff and you're like what's the price of wraps steeth like how much wait how much eth is that like where where's our liquidation price? like it's like hard to manage rebasing at least it's like you know one ETH is one steeth and you get yeah, more exactly. each day. 
What, what, what that tells me is two things. Number one, what they will be attracting is retail because I think retail will care about more of the, the atomicity of what one token actually equals and rebasing just means more tokens. Um, it also tells me that, uh, and you know, they're not going to have as much, you know, custodial support, infrastructure, intermediary support, just because of that. Because rebasing is not like no one in in the, who's a uh, an intermediary can support a rebasing token, which is why wrap state ETH exists. Uh, the second is the the bulk of the people that they're probably going to go after are non US. Because in the U.S., what you get with a wrapped token versus a, a rebasing token is a capital gain versus something that's declared income, and it, it's a it's a it's a minor point. But every single time you're earning more tokens, that's income versus something that you can wrap into an eventual capital gain uh, or loss. But it at least is cap gains or losses as opposed to income. Okay, question for you guys, like maybe last one on this. Um, do you think, because uh, I think, I forget, uh, Sam or Michael, one of the two, you made this point that it might kick off the pressure for other layer twos to respond more immediately. But also I feel like there's a temptation um, to look around and if Blast is really successful and say, hey, there's a bunch of uh, just piles of ETH sitting around here being not very capital efficient. Uh, maybe we should try to find a home for them in something like Lido, uh, for instance. And I do wonder if this sort of kicks off a capital efficiency meme almost, um, wherein everyone starts questioning why there are these pools of ETH just sitting around not earning yield. Um, ditto ditto stablecoins, ditto, you know, like yeah. ETH. But like one way to think about this is like there is, you know, how many? There, there's probably 70 million ETH that are unstaked. There's like a hundred billion of stable coins that are not earning any yield. It's pretty simple to spin up a multi-sig. It implies a very high valuation if you already have 800 million of value in this blast multi-sig. And so the L2 itself is probably worth billions. And, you know, generally one way to think about crypto is like the lowest amount of effort that can generate the highest dollar amount of profits is going to be like DDoSed by people. Like they're just going to... They're going to spin up 50,000 Uniswap clones. They're going to spin up 50,000 NFT collections. Like the techno grift is real. They, they will go after it. And, you know, who are the winners? I think the winners are the obvious, like the L2s, Blast, like probably like high enterprise value. Uh, the winners are the users who, uh, you know, frankly, like get more yield and, you know, airdrops and all that stuff. But like mostly the winners are like the large infrastructure plays that sit below these things like Steeth and whatever, you know, even if it's not die, even if it's like, you know, uh, I can't even think of another yield bearing one, but you know, there, there are them. Um, like those are the winners who are the losers. Um, USDC and USDT. Uh, I guess anyone who thinks the ETH stake rate is going to stay low. <laughs> Anyone, yeah, anyone who's betting on the ETH stake rate being low, but like, I think the bull case for Lido is like they have like 30 million ETH staked and they're like, you know, 30, 32 or 33 percent or whatever the number is, you know, of like that's like the new, the new way that we think about it just from this stuff because there's going to be so many of these farms. Okay. Just, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, the let's say you're an optimism and you're at the stage where you have a decentralized sequencer and you're considering converting your entire bridge contract into a staked 
piece. Um, you already have to curate a operator set uh, for your decentralized sequencer. Why not just have them run Ethereum nodes um, and become a liquid staking protocol? Like the operational overhead is zero, basically. Hmm. When do you think that decentralized sequencer comes? Uh, you're the ETH guys. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, like the next Winter Olympics is my guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Italy 2026. Like, here's the, here's the reality is like, this is all going to happen in the next like, two years. Like, and then you're going to kind of ossify into like the dominant infrastructure and like the also rands. And there's also like probably a bunch of stuff that optimism has to do to, you know, even like regulatory clear this. And like, if you're, if you're, if you're a foundation, at least a U.S. you know, formally domiciled one, like you are very careful in what you are doing and you are making sure that it is like as limited of scope as possible. Like, I guess part of the reason that I'm so uncomfortable with blast is like, this doesn't seem legal, you know, like, <laughs> like it's like Michael and me being like, all right, send the money to our fireblocks address. We're going to do something with it and we'll give it back to you in five months. Like, the, yeah, it's just like problematic. Maybe it's possible in a decentralized context, but like the optics don't get that much better. I'll tell you what was not helping them out either was those little graphics they drew of the of their marketing strategy, <laughs> which I do feel, by the way, I will just because we're being a little hard on blast, like they're not running a Ponzi scheme that that has like dominated the narrative. And that's a really silly accusation. It's not a Ponzi, not something Ponzi else, scheme. but it's not a Ponzi. It's something else that is not a Ponzi. Yeah. And I've just listened to a bunch of debates about whether or not blast is a Ponzi. And it's kind of a stupid conversation, actually. So I, I also think Tishan is like a good entrepreneur, like uh, blur is like a good product. Um, and like, if he ends up winning, nobody's gonna remember that it started as a multi sig, right? So like, <sighs> It's yeah. kind of like too soon to tell, but also gets back to like the CZ and Justin Sun point where it's like nothing has happened yet. But also to be fair, like optimism is multi-sig. Like we're, we're, we, have, we haven't surpassed multi-sigs here. It's just, you know. Yeah, no, problems. but it, it feels, even though we haven't surpassed them, it feels like like people are starting to get wise, you know? Mm. Like, like I, saw, I saw some hack happen on base and my first reaction was like, "Ooh, how does Coinbase deal with that?" Because like yeah. you can you can you can brick the withdrawal from the chain if you really want to. Uh, Coinbase has a lot of interest. There are a lot of interesting questions to be asked around how Coinbase will deal with stuff. Um, frankly, I, yeah. In in anyway. CZ's lawsuit is a quote of him asking him saying like it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. <laughs> maybe <laughs> i mean maybe well look at this i mean here's a very plausible scenario not to return to cz that could play out for him he pays that binance pays that massive fine he pays his 50 million dollar fine right which i think he had to settle with the cftc yeah. uh he could maybe let's say we split the difference and say he gets like nine months of a house house arrest type jail and he still retains control of binance was it was he right you know, like, yeah, because he'll wake up in three years, he'll be able to operate Binance again. 
it was a really like high the, risk reward <clears throat> strategy that he ran. It's, it's like the Joe Low uh, billion dollar whale perspective of like if you get yeah. to be so big that you make ten billion dollars, you have to pay a billion dollar fine, but then you keep the nine. True. <laughs> JLO is kind of a different story, though. Totally. But the, the yeah. concept of, I mean, it's the same thing with, with Tether, too, to a certain extent. It's like they've gotten to be so big that, you know, any sort of ramifications are, are uh, I'm, I mean, mincing uh, storylines here, but I think Binance has something like 6.5 billion of uh, liquid assets on their balance sheet that people have been able to track down. So, yeah, it's two thirds of their balance sheet. You know, maybe they have more off chain, but. It's definitely not as bad as it could have been, and they get to continue to operate. Cool. Maybe just because uh, I'd love to get your guys' opinions. I do want to. It's sort of related to to blast, but I'd love to get your opinions on like blur and kind of like NFT on chain market structure. I think it's a pretty. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to share my screen here, and then uh, Sam, we're we're going to call on you to talk to us a little bit about what's been going on in the cosmos, because even for the the typical cosmos governance drama, it's been a it's been a big week. Um, but the so I hadn't really been paying that much attention to NFTs until um, pretty recently. But I, I was pretty surprised. I, I knew that Blur had been doing well, but I I didn't know that the market share has shifted so drastically. So this is in the, in this past week, um, you know, Blur by by volume had seventy eight percent of uh, you know trading volume went through Blur compared to seventeen percent at OpenSea, um, and that. You know, I can't really remember at one point what they what OpenSea used to have in terms of market share, but I think it was high nineties, right? Yeah, nineties. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and and you can actually see the same thing being replicated over in the Solana ecosystem with uh, Tensor. So Tensor, you know, it's a it's an on chain marketplace. It's pretty small team. Um, you know, a couple of founders, and they've uh, eaten all the market share away from Magic Eden as well. Um, I would be curious, I'd be curious what you guys think about this because, especially because, and, and how much this comes down to incentives and airdrop farming and uh, the promise of token rewards, because this was a huge decision that OpenSea was being faced with. Uh, when Blur launched, they were like, are, you, are we going to launch a token in response? They ultimately opted not to do that. And to be honest, it looks like that was probably not the right decision. That was probably the wrong decision. Um, <clears throat> OpenSea revenue down ninety nine percent in the last eighteen months. Yeah, that's tough. Like the you know fifty percent of the team you know they let go of recently. They did a uh, a leadership offsite recently. I, I mean they're they're going to have to chart a new path forward. It's not it's not like a really a competition anymore. I would say. Damn. I will say this for uh, Pac Man. He, he, at some point in one of these Twitter threads that he's done recently, he sort of stated these like two observation that he had that, um, you know, NFTs, basically his whole thing is that you should treat NFTs kind of like altcoins. Um, and you, there deserves to be an institutional grade perp market and it should be cheaper. And, you know, he really leaned into the sort of, you know, to maybe be a little bit pejorative, like the altcoins with pictures uh, view of NFTs. And I think at least for the current, customer that exists and what people are using nfts for today it looks like that was the right that was the right call um i mean the analogy that i think of is, is like it's kind of like ebay you know the the marketplace for the long tail of assets versus amazon the place where you go and buy everything and uh i think that narrative i mean you can look at the relative market caps and and i think that you know largely that that trajectory is going to continue to play out but 
OpenSea has been a marketplace for individual assets. The financialization of uh, or the trading financialization of NFTs has become blur. And, and sure, incentives hy- hypercharge that transition, but I think that the strategy of that, you know, has definitely been the right strategy too. I'm I'm just looking at like the actual NFTs that have traded hands over the past month. There's like two kind of bigger moments. One was like the uh, Yuga Labs like CryptoPunks announcement, and like all those floors getting swept. Um, and then there's obviously Mad Lads on Solana, which is kind of popping off even today. And then there's like basically like some wash trading or smaller collections. Like the, I'm hesitant to like make any you know definitive statements about the NFT market because there's really only like three assets that like you can buy. It's like CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, Fidenzas, maybe. Like we really think the the NFT market is going to go in basically like the polar opposite direction of mm-hmm. of where it is today. Like super low cost, more vertically oriented, like gaming NFTs, um, and like you don't need a perp to trade like a two dollar sword in a game. You know, you just mm-hmm. like need a spot market for that. And really, like the perps only make sense with like the high value asset class markets. And so it's like, how much do you believe in PFPs being worth five hundred thousand dollars persistently over ten collections, not just three? My confidence so, is low. During the like last that. cycle when OpenSea was like, was really top dog, there was this thing where OpenSea was kind of the, your primary gallery as like an NFT mm-hmm. holder. It's, mm-hmm. it's where you like went to view and like uh, understand and kind of appreciate your collection. Um, and that was actually like a key element of its success in my opinion. Um, and the combination of like, the market cratering and um, wallets and and kind of specific gallery applications like really maturing um, during that time period, I think actually shifts the um, the kind of use case a bit. Um, so OpenSea isn't able to kind of like rest on that um, that user stickiness where they're like, oh, I want to look at my my JPEGs. Um, you know, you do that elsewhere now. You do it in like Rainbow Wallet or you do it in like one of one of these other venues that's like a little bit more specifically designed for that for that purpose. Yeah, I mean, buy that. Yeah. I, I can I can see a founder building like a super low cost, super low fee, oriented at super, you know, low cost again items. Um and this becomes like the prosumer like Blur becomes like the prosumer trading venue for people who want to like speculate on Fidenzas being the next like Picassos. But that latter market, while it's filled with prosumers and like that's generally what the market of crypto is filled with today, like it it doesn't expand infinitely the way that other asset classes do for NFTs. Yeah, you make a really good point. I, I will say, I think one of the things, maybe I'm a little bit hopeful about this, but I would hope, that people in this cycle, because I'm, I am excited about NFTs. I feel like they're going to come back at some point, but I hope people experiment a little bit on the model. Like what I've chilled this to you guys a bunch, but uh, like what Luca Nets is doing at Pudgy Penguins feels like yep. he's sort of rewriting the NFT business model and playbook in a, in a way that makes just an enormous amount of intuitive sense to, to me. So I think that's like one way that you could go kind of the e-commerce traditional IP build kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and fit that around what NFTs are, which I think 
I'm actually surprised more people aren't just copying what he's doing. Uh, but I think that's like one way you could go. But I do think there will be some amount of um, like, especially as you see other, like there's a little mini NFT bubble going on in Solana right now. It's not just the lads. There's like quacks and tensorians and stuff. And I think there is some amount of, I don't know, like as long as you have these different ecosystems with different characters and different communities, there will always be some amount of demand to be like, like pride or like emotional connection or community. And I think that's a big part of crypto, at least for the time being, like one of the macro trends we're riding here is people feeling lonely <laughs> and wanting to like plug into communities online. And I, like for that reason, I, I don't know. I can kind of see it. I, I, this is how I feel about the taproot wizards on Bitcoin too. I'm like, I feel like that's actually going to be a really successful NFT collection. Um, and I'm rooting for them because I would love to see some changes get made <laughs> in the Bitcoin, uh, culture honestly and if they can plug those little tiny blocks with transactions then that's great i view it as a win-win so there's, listen there's, it, there's, it, only, there's only like one of those per chain it's like crypto punks for eth i guess it's like taproot wizards for bitcoin maybe it's mad lads but it's not like i i hear you on this yeah it's not like, infinite the problem with like, like the yeah. altcoin with pictures analogy it's like pithy and smart but like a they're nowhere near the market cap of traditional altcoins and B there's nowhere near enough of them that are meaningfully sized. Like it's not really that it's, it's like a good marketing statement, but it's like not the ground truth. Fully agree with that. Also uh, when number go up, anything goes. (laughs) Totally. I think that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Being a part of a community in the bull run is like bag holding in the bear run. You know, it's like all, all the same stuff. It's fun. yeah. In the last NFT cycle, there's also I mean NFTs brought in a huge uh, influx of new users, and like they had certain cultural affiliations with these JPEGs that they were kind of encountering for the first time. So um, there is potential to like actually create new new communities there, new new JPEG holders. Uh, you know what I can um, just as someone who's like a media operator, I can kind of squint at NFTs and see something valuable, which is I'm not a lover of the overall model of media, which is like, you know, you, eventually you get large enough as a media company where you have to kind of go like very broad. Um, and then you start selling ads on a CPM basis. And it's just super commoditized. And it's like that it's a horrible business. There's like any number of examples. NFTs are like the opposite of that. It is 10,000 people or 5,000 people that are like rabid, super engaged people. And it's not the same business model. You have to think about it a different way. But just as someone who spent a lot of time trying to get people to engage with things, like having that community of people that will just, I don't know, like jump on a plane and go somewhere to an event or, uh, you know, buy something just because they're part of a community. That's a valuable thing. Um, And I, I don't, I think people will experiment with that idea and find new business models that make sense around it. But yeah, I, I actually, I hear you Vance. I, I, there, it doesn't make sense for there to be infinite collections that just go up a million percent. And I'm with remember, you on that. Remember when we were but, fractionalizing NFTs because you know, we <laughs> yeah, that way. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Like follow yeah. the logic tree. It doesn't work. You yeah. know, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Okay. We'll, we'll um, NFTs though, just not the uh, current crop. I think that's a fair take. Um, Okay, Sam, I'm going to um, turn it over to you here because it's, it's been a big week for Cosmos. There was a big uh, prop that ended up getting passed through governance and maybe the most uh, contentious uh, on 
governance uh, proposal that ever made it through Cosmos, where the uh, where the the inflation rate was decreased by ten percent, um, and this actually led to Jay, uh, who's one of the original founders at Tendermint, uh, to suggest a a fork of the Cosmos Hub. So you just like. For those of us who don't uh, spend all their time in the cosmos, can you just give us the sort of the history of this proposition? Why you know we're talking about decreasing the um, emissions rate, um, what that's supposed to do, and then talk us through this fork and how meaningful that may or may not be. Yeah, happy to. Uh, I mean, how much time do you have? This is a, this is a big one. <laughs> Ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> we're we're an hour into the pod and we're getting into the to the core subject of it. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so one point of clarification before we start the the prop was to um, to decrease the the target um, inflation rate, uh, not the actual inflation rate. So um, I, I guess just like a a little note about how the Cosmos staking system works, um, or at least the Cosmos Hub and many of the Cosmos chains uh, follow this model. Um, there is a target stake rate uh, which um, is today 66%. Um, and uh, basically, based on the um, the number of stake tokens or the ratio of stake tokens, um, the inflation will uh, modulate um, in order to kind of hit that target. And it does so um, at kind of in this like PID controller type fashion. So uh, there's like a feedback model where it like evaluates am I close to the target? Am I above the target? Uh, if so, then I can um, I can decrease the amount of emissions um, incrementally, and if I'm below the target, I need to in increase the amount of emissions in order to hit this 66% uh, target. Um, so what the the vote was to um, change the uh, the kind of bounds on um, on this targeting system so that the maximum amount of emissions that could um, that the system could uh, could reach uh, was yeah one uh, was halved and um, it, it does have impact on validator revenues like the, so the the real um, revenues that the validators are, are pulling in um, did change but it uh, that number was not halved it, um, so slightly different um this is kind of uh, a long time coming um and something that we you know have been talking about for you know basically ever since liquid staking uh was an idea so like multiple years um basically the the whole premise of liquid staking is uh that you are going to issue this um voucher for a, a staked position and so it uh, you're removing the opportunity cost between staking and um, yield opportunities in the ecosystem. So, you know, theoretically, the the stake ratio should increase. Um, uh, you you don't need to do the same kind of targeting because you should kind of naturally um, uh, the people would be more inclined to have a liquid staked asset and and uh, and put it in a, a yield farm somewhere. Um, so it's kind of like just to make sure I understand that, Sam. It's like there, there was a, there was a. The emissions were basically there to incentivize people to stake and not, you know, 
and take the opportunity cost of potentially going and doing other things when you now now that you have liquid staking and there's the LSM, uh, which is like, you know, very uh, successfully integrated that within the Cosmos hub, then that opportunity cost doesn't exist. So to compensate for that, you can actually bring the target emissions down because people aren't sacrificing that opportunity cost anymore. Yeah, the targeting system just no longer really makes a lot of sense, uh, in my opinion. Um, this is kind of the the difference of opinion that uh, many in the Cosmos ecosystem have with with Jay. Um, Jay is like uh, pretty anti liquid staking from a you know principles basis. Um, Jay is also a you know a very colorful, complex character, um, and you know. The kind of origin of a lot of the cosmos drama was you know jay having some serious uh mental health issues that, that caused the um the entire engineering team to to migrate to a new um to a new entity um there was this kind of great fragmentation that happened um in order to to kind of continue to build the, the core infrastructure and so over the course of several years like a lot of the um kind of key resources that were in and around all in bits um that this originating entity uh that jay controlled have, have been kind of migrated elsewhere um i spent a bunch of time moving the the trademark and dns and, and things like this to to a separate entity and like going through all the, the kind of legal aspects of that um it created a, a kind of environment of um of distrust between Jay and and some of the other, uh, really all of the other people in the ecosystem, um, which is really unfortunate. I, there's, yeah, so there, there's a lot to say there, but it it is a complex uh, kind of situation between Jay and, and a lot of the other core teams. Um, and uh, when so, I I kind of spearheaded the the Atom 2.0 initiative. Um, he really came out strong. Uh, against a number of the um, the aspects that were um, that were kind of described in that paper, it it really assumed this like liquid staking world was going to exist, and you know he fundamentally doesn't think that that that's the direction that we should move. Um, he has a, a kind of design in mind where um, you don't there is no liquid staking, and actually the the atom token is. Um, is kind of this like internal asset uh, that is like primarily held by um, by infrastructure providers and delegators, and a secondary token called the the photon is like is issued off of the um, off the chain. So it's kind of like a, a meme meme coin um, that lives on top of the hub, and you know most people that. Uh, I'm surrounded with uh, felt like this was kind of a non non viable option. People don't really want this secondary token. They want some kind of um, representation of the the kind of internal token of the network. Um, so, yeah, the it's really kind of like a philosophical difference about the the core security system and the core kind of uh, monetary um, uh, the connection between the, the monetary and uh and security systems um and yeah the this vote basically kind of drove jay to um to want to experiment with fork um 
I don't personally think it has a lot of support from any other core team in the ecosystem or any you know, very few validators or the consumer chains of the Cosmos Hub. Um, I could be proven wrong there, but uh, that's that's my read of the situation. So, so it sounds like we're going to hit you know some sort of fork here at some point. Um, and historically, I mean, if we think about the major forks that have happened historically, there's like Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, you know, whenever that was, 2016, 2017, obviously all the Bitcoin stuff, but I'll, I'll leave that aside because, you know, we're not building apps on, on Bitcoin. <clears throat> and then there was the proof of work, proof of, uh, proof of stake, uh, with the merge, obviously proof of work chain got decimated immediately, um, the reasoning, I would say, that Ethereum Classic still exists in conjunction with Ethereum, um, the canonical chain, whereas Ethereum Proof of Work does not exist versus Ethereum Proof of Stake, the canonical chain, is because the the variables that decide which chains will live on has fundamentally shifted. Back in 2017, 2016, 2017, <clears throat> with Classic, it was really where the miners were going to be. How much hash power were you going to devote to the classic chain versus the canonical chain? Um, now you have an element of where are the applications going to decide to deploy their application and support that application going forward? The power has shifted away from validators slash miners into where are the canonical examples of like USDC or – and I know Cosmos is different. I'm just using Ethereum and the forks as example – um, how would you say, like, what, what are the variables that you think will be in play for deciding which one of these becomes sort of like the canonical or, or do you think it's an element of, you know, both will probably coexist in, in, you know, yeah. How would you think about that going forward? Yeah. So one thing is, uh, Tenorment now Comet BFT is, is a forkless protocol. So, um, there will there will be a continuation of the chain um, that is uh, can be validated by anyone, um, and it's it's kind of the chain that we we know today. Uh, Jay is going to have to spin up a new a new version of the chain, um, and kind of get buy in for that chain. Basically, he's going to have to. Uh, I would kind of uh, the monetary asset is is really like the the most important thing here and um if jay wants to make uh this atom one uh chain the the kind of canonical one he would have to have all bridges um change their pointer to his chain and say that this is the right. uh, the correct representation um that is a big ask that's a lot of social buy-in to get um that said uh the cosmos architecture was designed for this like it, it it's actually a, a system that encourages forking like that that's part of the, the security model actually this, this is how you um ensure that there is a kind of minority representation in the system um and it provides a kind of check and balance so the kind of credible threat to fork is very important in kind of ensuring some degree of like internal regulation, um, you know, so that, uh, yeah, so that like minority voices can, can actually like express themselves within the, the application within the chain. 
Um, so there is the ability to to migrate these um, bridge pointers, uh, the IBC client um, ID, uh, and there's governance on all of these IBC connected chains to that. You know, there's a parameter, and you can you can change it. Um, like we built that. Um, so I, I'm very see you know how, how that plays out um i'm glad that the, the capability exists um if and it, it could actually uh i don't know <laughs> heal some things if uh, jay uh kind of pours his attention into this and and feels like this is he's able to kind of execute on his vision um i was yeah. oh sorry i, I was gonna okay. ask you guys like I um I, so I've been actually going back and uh, listening to old episodes of Epicenter because I was just I found an episode and I was like oh these are actually really good they they went on like a great run from late 2016 to 2018 2019 and I I listened to a lot of interviews that they did during the Bitcoin block size war so as the Bitcoin block size war was like heating up and when it got to its zenith when it was really contentious um, and I, I actually had a lot of takeaways from it but the one thing that everyone was extremely nervous about was the possibility of a hard fork. And the the reason why people were worried about that was because it destroys the immutable value proposition or store of wealth value proposition of something like Bitcoin, which is a little bit Bitcoin specific, but also it would break the network effect of Bitcoin. This was a big argument, right? So now if you have two chains, you know, you don't really know how it's going to shake out in terms of miners and hash power, but also some developers might go on chain one versus chain two. People won't know which is the which is the main one, and you'll just divide your your uh, your yeah, the network effect that you've accrued and built up. I, I do kind of wonder that this is obviously the counterfactual and there's no real way to prove this. Um, I, I, you could argue that that's really scary and like you don't kind of want to have to deal with that, but maybe there would be some sort of healthy elements to that. And actually one takeaway that I had going back and listening to the Bitcoin block size wars, and maybe this is a heretical thing to say because now the perception of it is like there were these heroic little blockers that, you know, like fought off these corrupt uh sort of big block companies but like at the time the way that it was and i wasn't paying an, an enormous amount of attention to it at the time but it does feel like actually going back there's like at least um there were at least two separate perspectives um like you could construct the argument right i, I don't think it was like these evil you know rapacious people who came in and tried to mess up this good network i think there were actual legitimate arguments on the other side and maybe if it had been i mean i guess there were like multiple like fork attempts you know after this but um I don't know. I think I think there maybe is another future out there where that big block Bitcoin sort of forked and became something sort of more interesting. And actually, a lot of those proponents, you know, became influential in other projects like, uh, you know, Eman, uh, Eman from uh, Avalanche, you know, was kind of uh, so, sort of more in that community. So I, I don't I don't really know what my point is here. I just first of all, I would recommend people go back and listen to that um, as a unique moment in history. But also, I'd just be curious how you guys think about forks and whether or not they're threats to the chain, or maybe it's a way of actually just the community grows big enough at some point that your tent is too big, not everyone is marching in the same direction, and it's kind of like a natural way to say, hey, you guys go do your thing, pursue your vision, we're going to go do our thing, pursue our vision, the best vision is going to win, or maybe we could just be, you know, coexist even, um, so... I don't know. That's where my head went when I was thinking about these forks. Because I think the it might actually threat be is still part of the Bitcoin. Uh, credible threat of a fork is still part of the Bitcoin security model. Like we, 
you can't get away from a fork. Like it is, it has to be in the conversation. It has to like be out there somewhere. Um, it has to be entertained. Um, the same thing with Ethereum, kind of discussing the possibility of like forking if there were was like sufficient censorship. Um, the, the threat of the fork is super important and the capability is, is super important. It's kind of like a mutually assured destruction scenario. Yeah. I don't know. Vance, Michael, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on any of this or. I haven't paid enough attention to Cosmos. <laughs> My last experience with a fork was the ETH proof of work fork, which was, uh, there wasn't a separate community. <laughs> Turns out no. it was just Chandler Glow and 16 different masks <laughs> he was wearing. So I don't People know. Are, do you remember people were saying some funny stuff before that fork? They were like, oh, if there's a fork, then there are going to be punks on the proof of work chain, which is technically the canonical <laughs> chain. And they're going to grief like the punks on the proof of stake chain. And there was this whole, there were lots of conversations about this. And then none of that stuff ended up happening or being meaningful at all. <laughs> like, no, nope. a little bit. Just, nope. just a scam. That's all it was. Yeah. There is crazy yeah. MEV between the different exchange rates and different exchanges, though. Yeah, it felt like that was like the last like techno grift of the last cycle. You know, like everyone was just trying to squeeze that last dollar out of it and uh, go on vacation. But we'll see. Yeah. Maybe just uh, in closing, do you guys see that clip uh, to take us totally out of crypto of Elon Musk um, telling it. advertisers? to go love it i was like Delete your disney dude. subscription I, yeah. I told i told vance i woke up this morning and checked to see if i still even had a disney plus subscription and deleted it really yeah. elon elon is so based i'm so glad he owns twitter i'll t okay i was actually gonna say uh that is actually not the most unhinged thing did you guys see the kyber swap exploit and the letter that the kyber swap <laughs> exploiter <laughs> sent i was like <laughs> Legend. That is like an entirely new level of sociopathy unlocked by that. Kyber, Kyber executives, um, thank you for your time. You've done great work. Uh, don't let the exit <laughs> stop you from leaving. Was, you know what? The little thing that got me was like, yeah, you know what? Could have happened to anyone. Wasn't your fault. You were good at your jobs. But nevertheless, I'm going to. Just a rounding it. error, up or down. Crypto is nothing if not entertaining. I mean, that is gold. Oh, my God. Yeah. Leave it well, at that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, fellas. Good one. Thanks, Sam, for joining us. It was fun, guys. Yeah, yeah thank you.